now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Well, Mark Larson, thank you in Southern California. Welcome again to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am indeed your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Happen to also still be underfished. We appreciate you taking some time to be with us tonight. I think we got a great show lined up for you. Last week, if you recall, we talked about some of the top Western anglers, how well they did in major events last week, and we've got two of them aboard with us. Let me give you an idea of who's going to be with us. First of all, last week we reported on the BASS Elite Tournament on Lake Martin and how well the Western anglers had done there, especially one in particular. And we have him on with us tonight. Mr. Roy Hawk from Lake Havasu City is going to be with us. We're going to find out how he did in his initial event, so stay tuned. That's going to be great. And then later on in the show, also a Western angler from Lake Havasu. He finished number one in the FLW event at Lake Havasu, Mr. Sean Bailey. So he's going to be with us to tell us what he did. Sandwiched in between them, we're going to go uh, on a trip and talk a little bit about Navionics and what Navionics is all about, what kind of plotters match up with them, what kind of uh, uh, plotters you're going to need to bundle up your Navionics chip. So Ricky Chavez, the Navionics rep, is going to be with us. So we got a full show for you tonight. Before we get on to our first guest, though, let me introduce to you the voice of 1-800-BASSBOAT. He's been the longtime co-host for Ron Real Radio, also a pretty darn good saltwater and freshwater angler in his own right, Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, howdy. Howdy. After three weekends of, uh, of tournaments, i got a weekend off coming up, and I'm <laughs> looking forward to it, actually. It's been hectic, but all things are good. Ah, that is great, Stan. Hey, and let me introduce to you also, to our listening audience, my other co-host. She is the national sales manager for Iserline and represents many other fine products in the fishing industry. She's also an accomplished freshwater, saltwater, and hunter in her own right. That's Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, how you doing? I'm doing good, a little worn out. I was at the PCS show Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and glad to be home and on the radio. Well, Wendy, you must have been worn out from all the selfies and pictures you got taken <laughs> with your friends there. It must have been one heck of an event. 
you know, it's a horrible job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> well, you're, <laughs> <Atta> girl. <laughs> you're definitely best suited, and you look a hell of a lot better than Stan and I, Wendy, so you're, you're <laughs> dominated. <laughs> hey, guys, let's get to our first guest because this is really exciting. When we had this angler on with us a few months ago, he had been invited to fish the BASS Elite Tournament. Great honor to do it, but also with that honor comes a lot of responsibility. Part of it is the time you spend and committed away from your family to do that, and then also the financial part. So let's catch up with exactly what he did to make the decision to qualify for a BASS and how he did in his first event. Let's welcome to Rod Real Radio from Lake Havasu, Mr. Roy Hawk. Roy, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. How are you guys all doing? Alive and well. We are doing <laughs> well, Roy. <laughs> Roy, when we uh, we talked with you a few months ago, uh, you you have torn up most of the tournaments out here in the West, both FLW, WON. I know at the U.S. Open you didn't fish as well as you wanted to do, but you did really well over there. You had, you had won that event in the past. Now you got this invitation to fish the BASS Elite Tournament, uh, uh, arguably the, the number one event in the United States if you want to be a pro angler. But you had some problems. The amount of time that was you're going to have to spend doing it, and then also the financial commitment. And so tell us, in that time and the time you fought, you, you fished your first tournament, what, uh, what transpired? Um, you know, once I made the, the commitment, that that's, you know, as a as a decision amongst our family and stuff, you know, we prayed about it and everything, and it was just a overwhelming feeling that that's, what, that's the way that we should go. So once we made that commitment to do it, um, things just start falling into place. You know, I had some sponsors step up and help me out, and we looked at it and scheduled it all, and, and really I'll actually get to spend more time at home this year than prior years, if you put it all on the calendar, um, because last year I fished like forty tournaments. This year <laughs> I'm going to fish, you know, maybe fifteen. So they are a little bit longer in tail and and uh, longer practices and things like that when you include the pre-practice and such. But um, I'll actually spend more time at home, and uh, we're going to make some pretty cool trips out of it. Um, meaning my family that gets to come on uh, three or four of them, and my wife was there at the, the very first one, which was really cool. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of started falling together. You know, we, we didn't have it. You know, it cost about 85000 to fish for the year with your expenses and entry fees. So, you know, we didn't have all of that in one pile, um, but we had enough to get started. So that's what we did. We were all in. <laughs> I, I understand that you put on, one of the best garage sales anyone would want to have to help finance that. Is that, is that a myth, or did that exactly happen? Well, it, it kind of happened, but we actually had the garage sale to uh, support my daughter's cheerleading competition. Okay. That's what the garage sale was actually for, not for my person, <laughs> but for her. She Man, that's, be, uh, that's good, but I, I had to laugh a little bit, because when last week we said that, I'm thinking, you know, every, every guy that started fishing 
slept in the back of his truck and scraped money together to get started. So that's just yeah. part of the deal. And then when you get ready to go to the elites, the cost factor that's there, you know, that's a consideration that a lot of people don't understand. Hey, that, this is a big jump. And the commitment to the time, because it's not close, the tournaments aren't close. You've got to travel, and, uh, oh, yeah. and you've got to pre-fish travel, and then come home and then maybe go back or pre-fish and then go have the tournament, pre-fish and have another tournament. So the time factor you were talking about, you know, 40 tournaments one year and only 16, it cuts in a half, but you're still the time away. Um, mm -hmm. You're in a lot of different country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Well, while uh, you're, uh, you were looking at the schedule, man, I know you had that butterflies going. Lake Martin down in southern Alabama. Was it a lake you had ever fished before? Uh, and what were your thoughts about fishing it? Were there Are there lakes that you have fished before that were like Lake Martin that you thought, eh, maybe you'd learned something from those lakes? Um, before arriving there for, uh, for the tournament, I'd never seen the lake before other than looking at it on Google or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd never been there before at all, and we have two and a half days of practice, basically, to, to figure it out. And, uh, but yeah, I did, I did, you know, it has a lot of similarities to Lake Shasta, and I think some of the other Western pros would agree with me on that, um, just being spotted bass and largemouth, and there's a lot of, like, red clay bank and, you know, things like that. It's similar. It's different, but it's similar for sure. That's probably the closest matchup to a, one of our Western lakes. Um, well, did and a lot of guys ran that, like, spotted bass pattern, you know, down near the dam in the clear water, that type of stuff. Did you get a real sinking feeling in your gut with uh, the pre-fish days come up and where you're used to sunny, warm, balmy uh, days, maybe a little wind over at Lake Havasu, uh, you were actually greeted by just a little bit different type of weather there for your pre-fish. Oh, man, we had it all. It was, uh, you know, there were frost on the boat some days. You'd wake up, and other days it was pouring rain. And uh, other days, I mean, some of the, the, the two out of the, I don't know, seven, eight days we were there, it was like 60 in the morning. It was bizarre. <laughs> We'd have, like, the southern storms would move up, and it would be like 60 degrees and raining in the morning. And other days it was like, you know, 30. <laughs> so it was all over the board, man. There were days like, you're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, Southern California, Arizona. <laughs> we don't get that kind of of changes, but you start going east and the weather changes, you know, it's 17 degrees one day and 70 the next. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was what, pretty wild. What kind of conditions? But yeah, you know, you just... Go ahead. Go on. Uh, I was just saying, you know, we got to come prepared for anything. You know, you got your your uh, polar suit and your shorts both, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the first day of the tournament, you had had all this uh, dynamic weather uh, go through. What time of conditions did you actually find on uh, the first day and going through all the days of the tournament when it came to weather and actually water conditions? Yeah, we had a, a pretty good couple storms that came through in practice. One of them real heavy, and it, it really muddied things up. But as it got closer to the tournament, it, it started to clear and settle a little bit. And uh, so things, water quality was fairly stable. Um, right to the beginning of the tournament, it, it changed just a little bit one of the other days when we got a pretty good rain, but for the most part, it was fairly stable, and um, um, it was cold that first morning, 
I mean, I had boots on and, you know, ball bundled up. So it wasn't, it wasn't as cold as the one real cold day in practice, but it was still pretty cold. And then each day, uh, like I said, the next day was a little bit warmer, and the next day we got some of that southern rain. And so by the, I think the last day of the tournament I was wearing rain suit and flip-flops. <laughs> so, <laughs> just because no sense in getting my shoes wet, you know what I mean, it's 60 in the morning. <laughs> well, you know, you said that the, the lake, if it fished like any other lake you'd been on before, it was kind of like Lake Shasta. Could you use some of the techniques that you were familiar with in fishing Lake Shasta there? And, and tell us, how, how did you develop some of the patterns over the course of the, uh, the first uh, few days of the event when you were trying to make the cut and then qualify for the top 12? Well, kind of, it started in practice. Um, you know, I fished like we normally would, like, a, a, you know, in general, most people would fish Shasta, you know, deep and spotted bass and, you know, in the clear water and so forth and did a lot of graphing and, and fished all the way down to 50, 60 feet. And uh, I also ran up creeks where the water was dirty, which is exactly how I did good last year at Shasta um, in a Wild West bass where I was fourth place. Um, I ran way up in the back of one of the creeks and fished in dirty water and threw a crankbait and uh, flipped a jig a little bit. Um, and that's how I ended up right in the, you know, I started that, that pattern in the first day of the tournament, and I, it worked well, and I stayed with it throughout the whole event. Wow. So, yeah, yeah it was kind of, it wasn't the standard thought of Shasta, but it was exactly how I fished Shasta the year prior. So it ended up matching. So, Well, you know, we were following you uh, with the, uh, the live feed that FLW had, especially towards those uh, end days, and, it looked like a lot of the fishermen they were they were fishing uh, lay downs and everything like that. In fact, uh, Takahiro, who wound up uh, winning the event, I think it was on the the second day, he uh, cast mm-hmm. into a a, a lay down uh, tree and he got a fish on. He broke it off. He went back there the next day, went up to that same tree, cast into it, got a fish, brought it in. And he saw that his crankbait was still in that fish's mouth, and it came back the next day to to eat it. Were were there uh, were were you fishing a lot of uh, uh, falling down trees? Uh, tell us the pattern that you found that worked for you. Yeah, no problem. That is, just to touch on that catch, man. That was that he'll never forget that moment of catching his crankbait back. You know, <laughs> day, a day later, or two days later, or whatever it was. That was incredible. And uh, it was a good sign, you know, that the good things are going to happen for talk, you know, during the event. It was pretty cool. But, yeah, um, you know, I started fishing rock, um, rock point. That's what I very first pulled up to. And there happened to be one single laydown on that. And, and uh, I pitched up near that laydown and caught a three, about a three-and-a-half-pounder. So that was my first fish of the tournament. It ended up being the, the very first fish caught on the Elite Series. So. That kind of clued me into the laydown thing. There weren't tons of them. You could run them if you, you know, but you got to cover a lot of ground. And there was a lot of good area that had no laydowns as well, um, just good rocky points and stuff. So I ended up fishing a lot of banks. But when I came to a laydown, I would really, really, I'd take four or five good casts at it, maybe pick up the jig, you know, and make sure there wasn't one. Or if it was too heavy laden, uh, you know, the cover was too heavy laden, I'd pitch the jig in that brush as well but yeah definitely the laydowns were very key hey roy we've got to take a break right now can i ask you to stay on for another segment and continue your story 
on fishing the yeah, BASS no Elite Tournament at Lake Martin. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Hey, we're, uh, we're with pro angler Roy Hawk. Stan, Whitney, and I, we're going to take a break right now. We'll, we'll be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. El padrón electoral del Instituto Nacional Electoral es una de las bases de datos más seguras del mundo. Para mantener su actualización y consistencia, una persona del INE perfectamente identificada podría visitarte en tu domicilio. Recíbela para verificar y confirmar que tus datos correspondan con los que se tienen registrados en el padrón electoral. En 2018 tomaremos decisiones muy importantes y nos aseguramos de contar con todo para tener unas elecciones limpias, justas y transparentes. Instituto Nacional Electoral. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. 
Hey, we want to welcome you back to Raw and Real Radio. Stan, Wendy, and I, we're talking with Bassmaster Elite Angler Roy Hawk. And we're talking about how he did in his first BASS event on Lake Martin in Alabama. And first, when we left Roy, he had just caught his first fish, his first bass ever in a BASS Elite Tournament on the first day. It was a three-pound-plus fish. Roy, you must have been feeling pretty good out of the gate like that. It was unbelievable. I was so stoked. And, uh, you know, because fishing hasn't been really good or anything. I mean, just to catch a good keeper, I mean, it took a lot of weight off your shoulders right there. And uh, I, it was actually, I stopped on a spot that's very close to the ramp, and I had an early draw. So as I was landing that fish, there's guys buzzing right past me. And so I, I laid down in the bottom of the boat once I got the fish in to get a picture of it, and we got a, a great shot of me down there cowering down below the, the gunnels taking a picture of this fish, and you can see bass boats flying by in the background. So uh, that was pretty cool, man. <laughs> so, Roy, did you have to change up when you went back there? You know, there are a lot of the things that they throw, they're different colors than you throw at Havasu or, or Mead or, or even Shasta. Did you change up? baits and colors than from what you did here um you know maybe a little bit i just threw a red crankbait and a, a black and blue jig um it would be a, a standard pick for you know off color water especially early in the year um, good for delta but yeah i've used it all over the country well roy you must have been fishing a lot of structure because uh uh as i understand it you lost a lot of lures too along with a lot of the other guys is that correct yeah, I did, and you know I have a great lure knocker, and a, and the water is typically only you know, you know I'm catching them in less than five feet of water. Most of them, you can reach your rod down, and but I had so many that got down underneath rocks. That crankbait would get underneath, and there's no way you can actually get to where the bait is. And uh, yeah, I had to break you know three or four of them off and ran out, and so I had to paint my own with nail polish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and do you carry nail polish with you, or did you have to go out that night to the local CVS <laughs> and find nail polish? <laughs> no, I, I carry actually about a hundred bottles with me all the time. Not in the boat, but in the you know when I travel, um, just for touch up and things like that, or to you know give a little chartreuse line, or you know orange belly, or you know sometimes to do a whole makeover like I had to do at Martin. And and did those fish after you? Well, you know. Painting them red with nail polish is more than a little touch-up. Did those lures indeed uh, work for you, and did it change the action at all on the lures? And what lure was it? Uh, it was a Dualis M62-5A. Okay. It's uh, kind of a shallow runner. It dives just a hair deeper than the standard square bill. Um, it'll dive down to like seven feet on a real long cast. And, uh, oh, yeah, they ate the heck out of it. It didn't change the action at all and uh, and worked really well. So <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> I know your first event out, the expectation is at least one of <clears throat> finishing the top 50 to get my money back. Mm-hmm. And, man, if, if, if the light is shining on me and the, the angels are watching over me to make that top 12, uh, how, how did you feel when you first made the – the top 50, and then you were in contention for the top 12 to finish and fish on the last day to be in contention for first place. 
I'll tell you what, man, every day just got better. You know what I mean? It just, it, it was so overwhelming, you know, just like you said, to get that first check and New Year getting a check. And then when I made the top 12, it was, I was on cloud nine, you know. I was super excited. And the, the, the coolest thing of the whole thing is that the live that they do, the Bass Live, you can watch it, watch all day long. And just knowing that all my friends and family and, and everybody was watching, I mean, that it was something I got to share with the world. You know, it was like one of my one of my coolest new moments, you know, and I got to share it with everybody. And that was the coolest part of the whole thing. And the other it's cool part is everybody that knows you, it, it, it's pulling for you, and you got that backing behind you, and you know that too. I mean, that's a pretty cool feeling to have. It really is, and, and I'm super, super thankful for, you know, my sponsors and friends and, and fans and everybody that cheers me on and helps me, and, and man, every fish, you know, I, I just wanted to catch another one, you know, just because I could just feel them, you know, cheering every time I caught one, you know, it was just really, really cool. I, I mean, my, my wife, you know, told me, you know, she was watching and stuff, and after she told me, you know, there were times where she's jumping up in the air and you know, watching <laughs> it and so forth, so. It was pretty cool, man. That's a, that Bass Live, man, that is the deal. I mean, that is the future of bass fishing, I'm telling they, you. They did a great job on it. Not only that, it, you know, all the way out here on the West Coast, it kept us involved with the tournament. But going into that last day, you qualify for the top 12, but it must have been old home week for you over there with a number of Western anglers that were there. Not only you, there was Luke Clausen, Justin uh, Lucas, uh, Dean Rojas, Brad Height, Mark Menendez. I mean, I, my gosh, you've got, uh, it's old home week over there for you. It's all Western guys almost. It was, man. It was pretty crazy. We come in to weigh in and, uh, you know, we're all sitting back there at the tank with our fish, you know, getting ready to weigh in. And it's just all these old guys I've hung out with for years, you know, for the most part, a couple other ones from the, from the South, but, uh, it was pretty cool, man. It was pretty cool. Just a bunch of our, our same old buddies, you know? Yeah. No. And amazing that that many got in the top 12 and the top 50. They're, I mean, the whole group that I traveled with, we have four of us, and uh, they all got checks, you know? Oh, that's pretty that's cool. Pretty, that's pretty cool right there. Now, now, you're in the top 12. It's the last day. It's your first BASS Elite event. Uh, butterflies in your stomach. Where, where were you in the field at that time? And... And did you put yourself a game plan that you were going to do this, this, and that? Or were you going to wait until you got out on the lake to figure out what you were going to do? You know, uh, yeah, there there definitely was some butterflies, uh, but really not that bad. I was just super excited, man. That was the, the main thing. I was just I was just stoked, you know. I was just, this was like the coolest bass fishing moment of all so far, and, and just, Everything was working good, and uh, I was just super excited. You know, I was nervous a little bit, but who cares? You know, I'm in the top 12. You know what I mean? I'm already guaranteed. They can't drop me any lower than 12, so it really, I'm good, you know? And uh, I was just excited about the whole thing. And, and no, um, one, of the, one of the things I did throughout the tournament is I, I, was, I looked at each day as a practice day. And uh, so even going into that last day, I mean, I looked at it as a practice day, and I started in an area I'd never been to before, another stretch of bank. And each day I'd blend in good areas that I found and then go look for new areas, both. And a lot of the days I started on areas I'd never been to before. So I didn't really have a game plan, just went on 
just went on gut instinct, I guess, or just guidance, you know? Well, sometimes I think that's the best when you're on a, a new body of water like that and there's no concentration of fish on any one particular area. You haven't got a super, super hot program going. You know, keeping everything honest tells you a lot about what they're, mm-hmm. what they're not on. And when you do find them, you know, all right, starting to put two and two together becomes easier. But covering water, you know, that's, that's actually a, a, a good way to get her done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it worked out good for this event, for sure. I didn't have a Takahiro hole or nothing I was running to, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you haven't got, a, you know, a spots where it's a spot lake, you know, and spotties, will, they'll get stacked up in the end of the year, but not so much in the first of the year. It's, uh, it can be a little tougher. But, you know, covering water and keeping everything honest tells you a whole lot about what to do. And, and they have enough tools, especially from the West. I think the guys here have more tools in the box with all the little minute stuff you have to do for drop shot uh, and the different techniques for the Delta and, and Clear Lake. And then you got to go to Shasta and, and the, the lakes that have the spots in them. Um, I think that probably is a greater uh, experience for, for the guys coming from the west to go back out and down south and, and uh, you have a tool for everything you see out there. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, out here in the West, it's so diverse. You know, you can throw in Lake Havasu with smallmouth, well, the whole Colorado River now, too, yep. to add to that, and back in the day when we were going to the Columbia River, too. So you add that into there with Shasta, the Delta, Clear Lake. You know, we got we got places where 10 pounds a day is really good, and we got places where 30 is good. You know what I mean? So we have a full range. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it really grows some great anglers. And, you know, we got really good proof of that, you know, with, you know, guys like Skeet Reese and Dean and, you know what I mean, they've been doing it a long time and have great results. Roy, I, we've got to give also kudos, though, to Takahiro uh, Amori. Uh, he he uh, far outdistanced the whole field, and that's not to say anything against your fishing. He was just mm-hmm. in a different plane of existence when it came to fishing did did you have a chance to talk to him at all and and found out what did did this fishing suit his style or did, was this just his time oh yeah it, it fit his style perfectly he did exactly what he his number one way that he likes to catch him that's what he was doing throwing a crankbait shallow that's his like all-time favorite thing to do so um, and he found a glory hole that was like no other. You know, he had the best spot on the entire lake, and he proved it, man. It was way cool. He had a really rough year in, in uh, the elites last year, and so to come out first um, on the very first event was a great sign for him and much-needed income, and, uh, yeah, he was he was uh, very excited. Very good to see you know, we had a we had a great time. Uh, you know, sharing stories and stuff at the tank there, waiting to weigh in, and uh, just really cool. Happy for him. You know, and sometimes we get a little negative because you're you're fishing on public bodies of water, and you've got a whole entourage of people that are following around you and your bass boats and everything like that. And and you had something really neat to say about the spectators at this particular event that you were at. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, uh, those spectators are awesome there. They, uh, you know, they give you plenty of distance, and I I ended up, uh, 
you know, kind of getting together with some of them. They sent me pictures that they took and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. It was really cool. That is cool. They were they were really awesome, man. They'd you'd catch one, they'd all cheer for you, and, and it's just, <laughs> it was a great experience. Like having a grandstand behind you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, it was really cool. Well, tell us now. You've got your first event behind you. You finished in second place. Was this a wake-up call for maybe some of the sponsors or some of the publicity people that, hey, there's there's a new guy out here from the West Coast, and uh, <laughs> he's not just a rookie. Uh, he's He fishes like he's been here before. Uh, I don't I don't know if it was a wake-up call or not. I know my sponsors that I do have were, were way excited and uh, – you know they were they were overwhelmed with the whole thing and and yeah I'm definitely looking for new sponsors if anybody uh, contacts you send them my way for sure but uh, you know it was just it was just a cool deal man and uh, you know looking forward to the next one and uh, see what happens you know we've got a long a long uh, road ahead you know the rest of the year and uh, you know so a lot of a lot of changes could happen but yeah super excited for the first one. It would seem, though, that a lot of places you're fishing, you've got rivers you're still going to be fishing, you're going to be fishing smallmouth. I, I've got a feeling that we just may be talking to you again before this year is up, Roy. <laughs> well, that would be a blessing for sure. And, uh, you know, anytime you guys want to call me, I'm, I'm game. I always enjoy being on your show. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Just uh, we... super excited and Super thankful to have the opportunity to fish the elite this year. Before, I think we're lucky for you. <laughs> yes. Before we let you go, Roy, why don't you let us know some of the sponsors that help you get to where you are right now? Well, my title sponsor is Anderson Toyota, um, a local dealership here in Lake Havasu. We're familiar. Anybody with you, looking yes. for any type? Yeah. Anybody looking for a vehicle can contact them. We'll ship them anywhere in the country. So they've been really awesome with me, and uh, been with them the last couple of years, and. They really helped me be able to expand, so I really appreciate them. Um, Taipan rods, um, I got a couple rods in their their lineup. Little Roy Hawk signature rods, um, been a great company, all made in made in the U.S. Um, from scratch to finish. So great products. Um, Yamamoto Custom Baits, been with them for like twenty years now. You know, great great soft plastics, and uh, you know one of the best companies out there. Pepper Custom Baits. I'll make jigs and spinner baits, and uh, great people up there. Great products. Um, Costa Del Mar, the best sunglasses you can get for fishing, you know. You bet. And uh, Ranger Evanrude, been with them for a long time. Evanrude's the only engine I've ever owned. So, and it sounds like Dual Realis helped you out a little bit too. Isn't that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Been with them for uh, I think it's I think from three or four years now. And uh, I've won a lot of money with their products, and guys are just starting to figure out how good they really are. And uh, they got a, they got a full lineup of, of great hard baits. Well, and again, remind us, what was that crankbait that you were using? Because I want to look into that. Yeah, it's a Dual Realis M62-5A. And the color, the original color that I tried to copy was scarlet red. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Roy, we just want to wish you a lot of luck and congratulations. I hopefully this has helped you, you know, make a couple of more entry fees down the the road and and offset some of those traveling expenses because 
from Lake Havasu to Lake Martin, uh, that was probably a pretty long haul. <laughs> yeah, I think it was 27 hours or something. So. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, it's helped out a bunch. Well, and it'll definitely keep me rolling for a couple. We had a we That's had a crowd great. here. We had a crowd here in the shop, but we had the uh, FLW live feed on, and they were rooting for you, and uh, also with, for Dean and the other West Coast guys. Uh, uh, any last things you want to say before we have to let you go? I just want to thank you for having me on, and and you know following me around, and and all that's really cool. And anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm more than welcome to. I mean, more you know. More, more, more than willing to come on your show, <laughs> and just want to say God bless to, to all you guys and to all your listeners, and uh, appreciate you guys. God bless you back, buddy. Do well and be well, and we'll be pulling for you. All right, Roy Thank Hawk, you, brother. Uh, BSS Elite Angler, second place in his first ever event on the tournament trail at Lake Martin. A great start, and I've got a feeling this guy's going to be up there a lot in the top twelve over the next course of events until we start fishing in the fall. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we're going to take a break right now, but coming up next, Ricky Shabazz from Navionics. He's going to be with us, so stay tuned. There's still a lot more to come. Are you ready to sell your current boat and upgrade in preparation for the 2017 fishing season? It's sure to be one for the bucks. I'm Zach Zorn and a broker for Kessler Yachts located in San Diego. As one of the largest and most reputable brokerages on the West Coast, I can ensure that your boat will be sold in a timely manner or that your dream boat will be found. If you want to sell your boat or looking to purchase one, call Zach Zorn at Kessler Yachts, 760-815-8866 so that your name can be added to our long list of satisfied buyers and sellers. That's Zach Zorn, 760-815-8866. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top-angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. And welcome everyone back to Rod and Reel Radio. Stan Vandenberg is here tonight, so is Wendy Toshihara, and 
And Stan, we're still trying to get a hold of uh, Mr. Shabazz uh, from uh, Navionics. Uh, it was basically uh, a, a situation that you were involved in that uh, you thought, hey, we, let, let's find out what's current with Navionics. So give us a little bit of the background story, will you please? Well, yeah. You know, I think, for one, I've been running Navionics, uh, the chips in my locators, for quite a while. But then I, I stepped up and upgraded my, my uh, units to the new touch screens uh, uh, with, uh, from Lawrence and, and one of the things that I had in my other units, <laughs> I put it on another boat, was the Navionics chip because I think it gives you an upper hand. If, when you're looking for areas uh, on the lakes, a lot of these maps are 10 or 15-foot intervals on the lines. Navionics goes down to five feet, which that is such a, a helpful thing to see when you're looking for little contours <laughs> to change and they've got so much shared information that you can pick up also but so I, I went out and I started looking at how my uh, electronics were reading and I couldn't get the maps to come up um, and out of frustration I called uh, Tashan Moore who worked with Navionics for a while and they said well you know the new guy is Ricky Shabazz to talk to him <laughs> called Ricky and said hey can't get my units to read and he goes oh you've upgraded your unit um it takes have you got the little microchip <laughs> that, that goes in there and i go no i've got the old standard version i gave him the numbers off and he goes nope you need the different one oh well that will help a bundle so i told him i'm going to buy that other one i'll get the other one and and uh we're going to we're going to put that one in mind as soon as it comes and actually uh we've got a little thing going now where we're going to do a giveaway of an avionics chip to some lucky person uh, that comes by our booth at where we are, the 800 Bass Boat and uh, San Fernando Valley Heart Insurance. So the people, you can put your name in our, our fishbowl, get a quote for your boat, whatever you want to do there. And at the end, we're going to give away an avionics chip to somebody that needs a, a new mapping source in their unit. Yeah, now they've uh, they've got different chips for different parts of the country. Uh, uh, I'm going to presume this is going to be a uh, uh, a West Coast chip, is it not, Stan? Yeah, you've got a Western. They have a Western region, so it's a region that covers a lot of the Western United States, uh, and you can actually get them to cover local offshore you know, to the islands um, and down the coast, and even into Mexico. You can buy their chips that are. Uh, it's just an upgrade of what. Um, is available in a lot of these other units when they go to mapping. So, you know, I think it's just a really valuable resource. And most of the guys that are out there that are fishing in the tournaments, you know, they've got that Navionics chip in there. It's made a difference. The guys that use them on the local offshore stuff for the bass, uh, sand bass and calico bass tournaments also. You know, now, uh, when they say, uh, you know, you, what, when you're buying a plotter, you want to make sure that they have one that supports the uh, Navionics chip. What what exactly is it that uh, you are looking for as a consumer on that, uh, Stan? Well, almost all of the electronics nowadays have uh, a little thumb slide that you can slide out, and you can put. There's there are other navigational products on the market, I guess that that have that same. Uh, it's just a chip that slides in. And it'll change the mapping sources and and what you're looking for when you're on that body of water that you like to fish, whether it's 
offshore, you know, and it doesn't make any difference if it's East Coast and you're in the Carolinas or you're in San Diego and you're turning left to go to Mexico. Um, all of that area that you see under, you want to know what's under your boat a lot of the time and where you are on those drop-off edges um, or high spots, and that high spots is in freshwater. It works the same in saltwater. You know, where, the, where are these high spots that those bluefin are sitting on out, out off our coasts? Uh, where are those rock piles that the guys like to fish for the calicos? Where are the rock piles that we like to fish in the drop-off edges in the, in the freshwater? So all of these things really make a difference. And if you've got a, a mapping system that shows you the bottom and can tell you in a more succinct way how to, how to locate those areas, and then once you find what you're looking for, you can put waypoints on and, uh, and mark those places so you can go right back to them. I use that. Uh, that mapping system that I had in my old units, I put one back on just so I had it uh, even on this last tournament here, the last couple, because I've got outside stuff in the middle of the lake that you never see anybody else fish, which just happen to run over and and, uh, you make a waypoint on your locator and you can go back and find it again. And once you have those things, you can actually recreate the bottom structure for your own mapping system. It's really incredible what you can do today. Now, you know, we just talked with uh, Roy Hawk. He went down and fished Lake Martin down in uh, southern Alabama, a lake that he said he'd only seen on Google. And I've got to feel uh, uh, pretty sure that Roy probably had a Navionics system that he could actually turn that thing on and get a complete profile of the lake to help him in his pre-fish. And not only that, during the tournament. Well, without a doubt, you, you can even take the chip out, you know, and you can go to, um, you can put it in your computer, and you can pre-fish the lake on your computer just by looking up at, you know, the contours of the lake, get an idea of where those creek channels are deep or whether they're shallow, uh, the shallow ends of the lake versus the deep ends of the lake. A lot of that you can do, you can pre-fish and mark spots that you want to actually look at on your, uh, on your meter before you even get there. Right. We know one of the things I've noticed that Navionics is doing, too, because in this day of technology, it's hard to keep up with everything to to not only learn what you you need, but then also once you get it, learn how to use it effectively to help you. Navionics now has gone uh, to a program where they have a tremendous number of web seminars for all parts of the country and all their products to to help you along so that you don't have to be reading some 50-page manual and, and, and you know, worry about skipping something on page 14 that you should have known about. <laughs> you know, the, the, the more complicated your, these electrical units, these, these locators that we use get, the, you're exactly correct. You know, you sit there and you go, well, I wonder what I touched because it just changed the screen and, and you have to figure out how to get back to where you were before. Yeah, I mean, you can watch TV, you can get the weather, you can do all kinds of things on these newer electronics units. So making it simple, for me at least, I'm all in. I don't need to know, you know that it does a lot of things other than tell me where the contour lines are, how do I mark my spots, how, do I, how can I just change the things that I need to know if I'm not on the right spot, and I've got a, a, a waypoint on it, you can actually change your waypoint to get right back on the right spot. There's, there's a volume of 
wisdom that you can pick up by by using the chips and uh, and using your mapping systems to to do a little homework on the lake. I mean, we got lakes now that have come way up, and uh, and they redid a lot of the GPSing of these lakes while they could get pictures of them while they were down. By the way, and then you've got like lakes like Casitas, for instance. It's as low as it's been since. 1961 when they filled it up. So, you know, the mapping systems really become uh, something you've got to kind of take into consideration when you're out there. You put them in and you start looking for these old roadbeds and in uh, areas where they carved out um, places to park even the cars while they were building the lake. All of that stuff makes a big difference. So we're looking at old maps and comparing them to the maps that are on your uh, mapping systems on your electronics. All right. Hey, for uh, further information on the Navionics cha- uh, chips and the uh, plotters that they go for, you can go to Navionics.com. They've got a complete schedule of their web seminars and their products, and and you can purchase right there on the site for the region of the country that best fits your particular need. Stan, in, in the few minutes that we have left in this segment, I know you had a chance to go fish this past weekend, uh, last weekend we were talking about we had mild weather. At least the lakes down here in San Diego, the fish were up in the shallows, they were up in the tulies. Uh, uh, it's been pretty good fishing. How did you find the fishing over there at Lake Casitas? I you think? know, it, 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 you would think it, but a week ago we had all that hot weather, warm weather going right up into the weekend. And on Saturday, you know, it was. It was pretty much game on. You could go out there, and you're, we knew you're going to catch fish. Um, and you caught numbers. It really was where you're going to find that bigger fish. But it took 20 pounds um, uh, to Jeff Chu and Lyndon Riley ended up with 19.98 for five fish, nice. uh, which is a really good weight, by the way. Um, and then uh, this last weekend here. Uh, we had that little cold front slide in uh, two days before the tournament. And so it always takes about three days for everything to get back. And it really did affect how the fishing was, and, and it became extremely tough fishing. Now, a lot of guys did not catch numbers. Um, you, there were a lot of guys that got, well, there was a, several that blanked, and then there, there was that uh, guys that caught four, couldn't catch the fifth one, only got four bites during the day. Um, the guys that ended up winning it uh, did actually a pretty good job coming up with 17 pounds, and um, and uh, they were fishing. They ended up having to go from shallow to deep to you know where everything was in 15 to 20 feet just the day before. Uh, then we had a cold snap come in, and it affected the fish where they moved back out, and they were all fishing 35 or 30 to 35 feet. And very, very slow. I mean, as much as it's, it was still warm on at 70 degrees, you were on your meters trying to figure out where these fish moved to because they weren't up and eating. And I, um, Jason Chrisman and John Harwood ended up winning with 1750 or something like that. So it changed, the, and they were the only one in that region. There, there was a, a, a distance between the next uh, anglers behind them. And I, we came in, we had Twelve fish. I we caught a lot, just didn't catch the bigger ones, and it ended up being uh, uh, a pretty good day all in all. So everybody, wow. the the fishing, it, it, 
it's so touchy right now. When these fish want to come up and spawn, um, you had a lot of fish come up with that warmer weather and start sweeping areas, and as soon as the cold weather hit, they moved off the bank so you could see where the beds wanted to be made, but the fish weren't there anymore. All right. Well, down here, uh, the first El Cajon Ford Day Tournament of the season kicked off over at Lake Otai. Now, National Bass West was at Otai last week. Ryan Caldwell fishing by himself at a 23-pound sack, which is great. But, Stan, you're exactly right. Uh, that The weather that came through, I think uh, the fish uh, either got lockjaw or maybe changed a little bit. It only took 17 pounds to, to win the uh, El Cajon Ford event, but there were a lot of people that were between 17 and 14 pounds. I think, uh, you know, first place was 17, and, uh, you know, 15th was somewhere around 12. So there's uh, there were a lot of nice fish being caught. Unfortunately, none with the, the big shoulders yet. So, you know, what's happening well, it's is all the that fish, male bass that moved yeah. up to try to get ready. Yeah. They're all so, the same size. Get out there and get them because this is the time, if you're a freshwater bass fisherman, to be doing it. Hey, Wendy, you're still with us, aren't you? Yep, I'm still here. Yeah, Wendy, we're going to have Sean Bailey on uh, in the next hour, but I know, at least here in Southern California, the show season just kicked off. You came back from the first show uh, of the season, and and uh, towards the end of the show, I'd sure like to get your impressions on on the show itself and how you found the attitude of the uh, the vendors and also uh, the guest of the show there when it comes to anticipation for this next season. Can you do that for us? Sure can. You bet. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we're going to take a break right now. Coming up next, we're going to change to the other coast. We're going to go over and talk to the fella that won the FLW tournament on Lake Havasu competing against 135 pros. Great event, great tournament. We're going to be speaking with Sean Bailey, but first, these messages. Count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. 
From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT, to the Tour Mag, to the brand new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum. We are performance tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in La Mesa at 619-466-8355. Attention Rod and Reel Radio listeners, be sure to check out the Code Group mobile app. You can listen to the Rod and Reel Radio show live along with show archives without internet access. The Code Group app has all kinds of cool features for fishermen including daily Southern California saltwater reports, weather reports, episodes of inside sport fishing, marine traffic, and much more. Get the free Code Group mobile app by texting the word REEL, R-E-E-L, to 90407, or enter the words code group in the app store on your smartphone. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we do want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. You know, again last week, we talked about the pro anglers that are out there, the western anglers that are out there, especially those that were fishing at Lake Martin in the BASS Elite uh, event. We wanted to congratulate them. But also at the same time, there was a premier event happening at Lake Havasu with uh, the FLW people, 135 pro anglers were out there fishing, and we just happened to have with us a guy that won that event. We're going to talk to him about it and find out just exactly what he did, Mr. Sean Bailey. Sean, welcome to Rod Reel Radio. How's it going, guys? Pretty good, Sean. (laughs) We are doing great. You know, Hey, Sean, you know, we were talking to Roy about the pressure he was fishing his first Bassmaster Elite event at Lake Martin, just out of the gate and doing really well. You had a little bit of a different situation because you're fishing on Lake Havasu. You're probably the quintessential uh, perennial favorite to win a big event on this lake. You hadn't done so yet. Did did you feel like uh, there was any pressure on you to do that, or was your attitude more like, hey, my time's going to come? Yeah, you know, I never really feel any pressure fishing Lake Havasu. It's just one of those deals where, uh, you know, eventually, you know, if you're going to win, you're going to win. And, uh, you know, I fished so many events there over the years and been close quite a few times and, you know, won a bunch of, uh, bunch of events there, but never, uh, you know, an FLW. So I just, I just kind of went fishing, didn't really have any pressure and just kind of, kind of had fun with it. And it was, and it all worked out this time. You know, I got to, first off, how you doing, Sean? <laughs> I'm doing good, Stan. How about yourself? Good, 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 amigo. Just finished what it conceded, but we'll, that's later on. Hey, uh, from my side, I've known Sean for, I think, since he and his brother started fishing out here against us, and we fished with around and against each other for years. So knowing his talent and how, you know, when he starts fishing these tournaments, he, he knows he can win, and everybody that fishes against him knows he can win, too. So his confidence, I already know when you get into these things, you're going to go fishing, and uh, you know you're going to catch fish. It's just going to be where you land, and your time, all of us that know you and have fished against you and around you knew that this is, you're, you've already won them, just not one of these events. So this one was just special and bigger. Yeah, exactly. It was... Uh... 
it was a long time coming for an FLW event. You know, I've been fishing them, you know, since the beginning here and there, and uh, just, uh, you know, like I said, been close a few times, and finally good to get one of those, you know, FLW trophies under my belt. So it, it was definitely uh, it was definitely nice to do it at home, too, but, and, uh, you know, sleeping in my own bed and hanging out with the girlfriend at night and not mm-hmm. having really any of the, uh, the, you know, the pressures that, you know, out-of-town guys face, with, you know, with that kind of thing. I'm, you know, doing tackle in my own garage and, just kind of hanging out at home, so it was pretty nice. Well, That's Sean, pretty great stuff. You started off here in the Southern California area, and then there came a time when you came to the realization, hey, if I want to take my fishing to the next level, I've got to move. And tell us a little bit about that thought process and where you finally wound up. Yeah, I mean, I started fishing in Southern California. God, it's so I'm 40 now. I started fishing tournaments when I was 20. So about 20 years ago, you know, I started fishing tournaments out there and you know, really, really fell in love with, you know, fishing fishing big swim baits and, you know, fishing for, you know, 10-plus pound fish. And after about, you know, I don't know, it's hard to say, you know, after a few years of doing that, it, it to me, it, it's, it wasn't per se that I wanted to go out and become, you know, this superstar tournament angler it was more about i just wanted to go do something different and you know i got tired of you know swinging in 10 pounders and just kicking them out of the boat and not even looking at them you know it was like you know i've been there done that and uh, i want to go do something different and you know part of that part of that also that, that decision to move was i got really tired of you know driving 45 minutes in traffic to the lake and back every day and you know i found you know i found Havasu, and you know, I was like, "Well, I can drive five or six minutes, and I'm at the launch ramp, and you know, they don't close the lake like they do in Southern California. You can launch at two in the morning if you want, and um, you know, the restrictions uh, of Havasu were, were were far less than the California lakes, and and I had smallmouth and largemouth, and at the time, you know, that lake when I first moved out there, I hadn't seen the kind of pressure, uh, this kind of swim bait pressure that it, you know, it's it's seen today but when i first moved out there it was incredible swim bait fishing and you know not for the not the swim bait fishing that, that i grew up in southern california doing but like the small swim bait fishing just catching you know two to six pound fish and it was just incredible fishing and you know you had a you had this this body of water that you could do whatever you wanted you could go flip toolies up in the river or you could go fish six pound line on a drop shot or you could throw crankbaits and jerkbaits and it was you know year round you had so many different patterns that you could go, you know, you, you could go work on. And Southern California, it was like you either threw a big swim bait or you threw a drop shot in a jig. And it's like that was like, you know, the only ways to, to win tournaments. You know, it, you know, you could catch them other ways, but those were the predominant ways to, to win tournaments in Southern California. And I just got bored with Southern California, so I decided to move. All right. And, and you've been there long enough. I've started hearing pundits say that they think, the fishing at Lake Havasu is on a decline. Well, you know, Ron Real Radio, we've been on long enough, uh, you know, over 20 years, and we've interviewed a lot of people that have fished at Lake Havasu, and Stan and I and, you know, a lot of our friends, we've fished Lake Havasu over the years, and and we've seen it develop, and, and the introduction of the smallmouth and the flourishing of the largemouth and, you know, the ups and downs of striped bass fishing. In your estimation... What is the current situation of the fishing at Lake Havasu now? Uh, I, w- I would definitely uh, argue with the people that say it's on a decline. Uh, the fishing there is incredible. 
what it is is that the fish are evolving uh, at a fast rate as far as ways that we fish for them and ways that they get caught. So it's, it's not this easy golf course pond type lake that it used to be, uh, you know, that it had, didn't have a lot of pressure. It gets a lot of pressure nowadays. And, and you know, it's, it's, got, it's, just, it's gotten tougher fishing, but I wouldn't say it's on a decline. It's just you have to be innovative on, you know, your techniques that you fish for them with. It's not just go down the bank and catch them like you used to, you know. I mean, the, the number of fish, you know, per, per acre in the lake hasn't changed. There's just as many bass in there as there was 10 years ago. It's just they've developed, you know, uh, they've just become a little bit smarter. They're not, they're not easy, easy fish to catch anymore. But uh, they're definitely still in there, and there's definitely – plenty of plenty of big bags to be caught that's for sure you know i think you're pretty spot on with that before it used to be you know you're especially back when way back when in the 70s and and 80s early 80s you know you, there were a lot of big fish in it then it went through a, a cycle where uh the fish got pretty small and you had small bags of fish for your limit um the smallmouth thing took took hold here and over a period of years things changed where the largemouth and smallmouth got bigger and bigger. And at that point in time, because it was a lake that only had, you know, the small bag limits before, it wasn't a, it wasn't a destination. As soon as this fishery became strong with these big, big smallmouth, even big, big perch, for goodness sakes, um, there, it became a target area for people. Now it's a destination that fishermen want to go to, and the pressure, instead of having a few boats on the lake fishing, there are lots of boats now that go there. Clubs go there uh, in numbers now, and the fishery has been squeezed a bit. And uh, but the the numbers and the weight still maintain. You know, if the guys are going to win, you got to have good weight. Yep, yep, exactly right. And you know, like you said, the, the like especially from a, from about now, you know, until it gets really hot, the. The, the lake receives an immense amount of pressure. Like, like you said, I mean, there's there's like two and three different clubs on every weekend in the spring there, and the place just gets hammered, you know. But there's so many fish in the lake that the lake still fishes pretty good. So uh, it's 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 a premier destination. It's just not just not as easy as it used to be. To say, you know, the, the weight the, is still there. The first two big FLW events that were there, Joe Uribe just did a great job over there. You know, throwing blade baits and and swim baits and everything like that. So he had to be one of the guys to beat. And, and this time of the year, there's there's a number of patterns, but you can have uh, your uh, your largemouth patterns in, in deeper water. You can have the smallmouth pattern that are in shallower water now because they normally spawn first. And and then you get uh, flipping and pitching the toolies. Uh, you know, did did you have a game plan that, hey, you're going to stick to this, or were you going to try all the patterns and find out which one worked out best for you? Well, you know, I've been burned on this lake, on Havasu, in this FLW, you know, fishing for smallmouth. Uh, it's the, they're the first ones to, to get tougher to catch under pressure. Um, so I didn't really have a game plan, but I knew that I wanted to fish for largemouth predominantly and that, if I needed to, I could go fish for some smallmouth. Uh, the first day of the tournament, you know, I fished for all largemouth, caught all, all largemouth, and had about a 15-pound bag pretty early and decided that I was going to 
stop fishing for them. And I went and kind of messed around with some smallmouth for a little bit and ended up catching one about four pounds, and it, you know, and, and it helped my bag and uh, fished for them for a little bit longer. And, you know, I realized after about an hour that, you know, I probably got lucky and caught a pretty good one because the smallmouth fishing, uh, to me, wasn't as good as it, as it normally would have been, uh, you know, that time of day and, and that, in, in, uh, in, that, in that month. So for the second day, I decided I'm just going to fish for, for largemouth. And uh, I struggled up until, like, shoot, like 11.45. I, I mean, I was almost in a panic state. And uh, I had an area that I, in, my, in the back of my mind I knew was a really good area. I didn't really know, didn't. I didn't know what it was capable of because obviously I'm, I'm not going to go catch everything that's there in practice, but I knew it was a really strong area and I was kind of hoping that I could save it for the third day. But at about noon, I realized that I wasn't going to get to fish it the third day, the third day if I didn't go do something, you know, drastic and go catch the fish. So I pulled into that area and me and my co-angler both caught, you know, seven, over 17 pounds within like two and a half hours. And that, that little area saved my tail. And, uh, I knew I had heard it. And, uh, I, but I, in, my, in the back of my mind, I was still hoping that there was going to be some fish for day three on there. Uh, Let me ask you a question or just clarify something because I know people don't understand. What's the difference of, you know, targeting your, your largemouth and, and, and your smallmouth where you say, you know, I went for largemouth and, and I targeted them versus targeting the smallmouth because I know a lot of listeners don't know how to do that or what you're talking about. All right. Well, so. Uh, on Havasu, at least, uh, when you want to target smallmouth, uh, you are going to fish predominantly like rocky points, and you're going to run down lake a little bit, you know, maybe like out of the Windsor area where, where uh, it's a predominantly uh, overrun with largemouth. Uh, if you start heading down south, it's all rocky points and rocky ledges and humps and, you know, steep bluffs and and that's where there's a, just a really big population of smallmouth. And obviously the techniques that you fish for them, you know, you go fish jigs and crankbaits and jerkbaits, you know, up on, the, on shallow rocky points. Uh, this time of year they're staging, and it was getting really warm at that point, and there was already some fish on beds, and, you know, there was lots of fish swimming shallow. And so, you know, under the pressure, those smallmouth that are up shallow on those points are the first ones to get real finicky and real hard to catch. So I decided to fish for largemouth, and by that I mean I was going to stay in the north end and I was going to fish more habitat, meaning uh, the natural mesquite trees that are in the lake, the man-made habitats that the state puts in the lake, and, and mostly for me in this tournament I was fishing the brush piles that the state uh, dumps into the lake. And I was fishing those in areas that were close to the big spawning bays. Um, uh, the, the, the smallmouth spawn first and the largemouth you know, spawn a little bit after them, and so they were still uh, in, a, in more of an early pre-spawn stage. So they were, there were still definitely some fish, some largemouth shallower, but the ones I was targeting were in, like, 15 to 20 feet of water, uh, and most of them were, actually all of them were on, on some sort of structure, whether it be a habitat or a brush pile or a tree. Was there a, a little anxiety going into this tournament? That, because the predictions were that it might take upwards of 60 pounds to win this tournament. And <laughs> it, it didn't seem like the weights were anything like that, especially when you come in with, uh, you know, uh, 16, 17 pounds on the first day. You must have maybe been thinking to yourself before you got to the weigh-in, holy mackerel, did I zig when I should have zagged? 
No, not at all, because uh, there's always that dock talk on Lake Havasu, and fishing's always ten times better in practice than it is in the tournament. Uh, you, you put, it's not that, you know, it's a, it's a decent-sized lake, but it, it fishes small, uh, and you put 154 pros with 154 co-anglers out there for five days, uh, you know, each of them catching two to ten fish a day, and you do the math, and by the, by the time tournament starts, there's a couple thousand fish that have, that, that have been caught, and those are typically the ones on the best spots in the lake and the most aggressive fish on the shallow areas. And by tournament time, uh, you know, people may think that it's going to take 20 pounds on their first or second day of practice, but by tournament time, in my experience, I knew that 16 to 17 was going to be really strong. Well, you know, that's and, and you were talking about the lake fish is really small. When you get that kind of, of talent on the lake, and even pre-fishing, we used to say don't stick your fish, you know, just get a bite and see if they're there because it's that first day you got to take those. There's, there's 150 guys or, or 150 boats, and there's 300 guys sticking fish, and the easy fish are gone that first day, and they may reload a little bit for that second day, but you're you're gonna it stand out a bunch, and so then it starts to get now you got to really go look to find your fish, and it's, and it's not going to be as easy. And that's really have to when you think about it is the how many points are there? You know how many rocky points are there? Are there 150? <laughs> are there 200 or whatever? And then you start looking at where they all go down the lake and. Uh, and up, up the river, and it starts to get smaller and smaller, especially in the second day. And even Lake Mead, which is a lot bigger, and that same thing happens. But the, when you've caught your, your first limit of fish, now it's a roll of the dice to see, you know, what am I going to do the second day, and we hope we're going to get a better limit or a good limit again. Sean, we've got to take a break right now. Is You know, before you answer uh, Stan's question, uh, can we uh, – Keep you on for another segment and uh, pause here for just a bit. Of course. Sounds good to me. I'll be here when you guys get back. All right. We are speaking with Sean Bailey, pro angler out of Lake Havasu and professional guide. Yeah, that's right. We're going to find out how you can fish with Sean, too, if you decide you want to learn more about Lake Havasu. So stay tuned. Stan, Wendy, I, and myself will be back after these messages. I love whitewater, but I never forget that snowmelt in the river can cause cold water shock. I wear a life jacket always. Anyone with me has got to do the same. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website 
at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. I got a garage full of fishing tackle, and every time I get out on the water, I realize I forgot something important. But I never forget my life jacket. I make sure my buddies wear theirs, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn. Nobody treats you better. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Nobody beats El Cajon. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn Jr. For years, my dad said it so often. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And nobody treats you better. And that's so true. Now I am proud to join the El Cajon Ford team because with them, it's all about family. They treat you right. You're part of our family at El Cajon Ford. Thanks, Tony. We'll see you at Broadway in East Main and ElCajonFord.com. Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. And we are speaking with our special guest, FLW Champion from Lake Havasu this past week, Mr. Sean Bailey. And, Sean, thank you so much for making time to be with us. No problem. No problem. Always a pleasure. Ron, uh, you know, Sean, there's all kinds of methods of, of fishing Lake Havasu. And, you know, Stan, Wendy, and myself, we have fished there before. And I, I read some of the things you were talking about, but you happened to mention a rig that I was not familiar with, and I, I, can, I hope you can talk about it a little bit more. You talked about fishing, what you called a sea rig, and can you tell us what that is? Yeah, that's just a Carolina rig, and, you know, I fish it a couple different ways. Um, <clears throat> if, I'm, if I'm fishing it on, uh, on, on, like, bigger baits, you know, like creature bait style, uh, you know, or like robo zippers or anything like that, then I'm going to throw it on a little bit heavier line, like 12 pounds, maybe with like a, you know, a half ounce bullet weight. And, you know, it's the weight and then you have a swivel and then you have about a three foot long leader to your bait. And it's just a, you know, an effective way to cover water. Uh, And for me, I'm fishing those deeper brush piles. And, you know, when you're out there in 22 foot, you know, 20 to 22 foot, and there's a couple of scatter brush piles in this big cove it's not like you can see them and just cast at it and get it you know get it near the brush pile on your first cast so i gotta hunt around for it and feel for it and that carolina rig is just a real effective way for me to you know cover a lot of water until i can find that piece of structure but yeah when so, you start uh, fan casting that the carolina rig and you drag it across the bottom until you find it um because it'll stay down with that heavier weight and uh it makes it, it. It's like having your own depth finder out in the middle of the cove for you. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like you know fishing a crankbait. When you throw a crankbait around, you can, you know, you can feel different kinds of structure. And but out where I was fishing, uh, a crankbait wasn't going to be uh, efficient enough for me because you know it's only you know in the strike zone or or bump and bottom for so long of your cast was where uh, a Carolina rig uh, I could throw it out there a mile. You know what I mean? And it's going to sink yep. straight to the bottom. And my entire length of cast, I can feel what the bottom feels like. You know, I can feel it when it gets silty and muddy. I can feel it when I go over rocks. And then as soon as I get into, into that structure, like uh, the habitat or the brush pile, I know exactly what it is. And now I've kind of lined up, you know, um, uh, from the boat to the, to, the, to, the, to the structure. And then now I can repeatedly throw at it and get it into that, you know, into that structure every single time. Uh, it's just a real efficient way for me to, you know, feel the bottom and find what I'm looking to fish. 
Now, you would you would you modify that Carolina rig uh, with a lighter rig if you know that you were in some really extremely gotcha type of brush and where we might be using a three quarter ounce to a one ounce that you maybe you you know go down light and use uh, an eighth ounce or a three sixteenths. Yes, definitely. This tournament, I used both. I actually, you know, Stan and I w- would call it split shotting. Uh, I couldn't really say that because a lot of guys, you know, think, "Oh, you're just clamping a split shot on your on directly on your line." So I call it like mini Carolina rigging, and I was using like a three sixteenth ounce bullet weight on like seven, six or seven pound test, and then I'm behind it, you know, for my bait, I'm using like a four inch robo worm, you know, so I'm downsizing. Uh, downsizing my bait, and when I do that, I, I typically downsize my line and my and my sinker and all that stuff, you know, to compensate or to to, to adapt to the rig you're fishing or the bait that, that I'm fishing. So uh, I caught some fish on some bigger baits like zippers, and I caught you know a lot of my fish I caught on a little robo worm, and uh, you know I'd say I'd say a lot of the fish that I weighed in came on the the, the smaller bait. You know, these fish that we were fishing for. They're still pretty finicky. They're not super, super aggressive yet. And so I had to downsize my bait to a little robo-worm just to get them to bite. So that, that, that little rig, which is basically just a little mini Carolina rig, helped me win the tournament, that's for sure. Now, that rig that you're fishing, are you using, like, a, a braid to a fluorocarbon? Are you using all monofilament? Uh, uh, you know, how are you setting the rig up? Uh, and then what are, type of... Uh, action rod uh, are you using uh to fish that on all right well we'll start with the uh <clears throat> the rod and reel first so rods i'm using uh evergreen international has a new line of, of rods they're selling in the united states uh they have a seven four uh medium rod and that's the rod i was i was using uh seven four it means i we could get an extremely long cast out of it they're super sensitive and uh the, you know the action was perfect for what i was doing uh, reel, I'm just using a, a, like a Shimano Stratic and uh, like a 2500 size. And so for me, the most important part is the line. Uh, a lot of guys use braided line, and I kind of got away from using the, the, the braided line. What I'm using is Berkeley Nanofill, which is like a form of braided line, but it's a lot thinner diameter, and it's a lot uh, smoother when it comes off your reel and you get it just an extremely long cast, much farther than say like a 10 pound braid. Um, it's, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure on what it's made out of. It's identical to braid in the, in the fact that it has zero stretch and a lot of abrasion resistance, but it's just really, really, really small diameter. It's almost like a fire line. It's real smooth and, uh, it's super, super strong. Yeah, and it's then, cast, uh, with its castability, I'm sure with the way you could cast, you could probably spool that 2,500 reel with that nanofill. It casts that far. Yeah, it casts really, really good, and, uh, you know, that's one of the benefits uh, to using it. Uh, I was tying on an uh, evergreen uh, bass seal fluorocarbon. Uh, I'm using uh, seven and eight-pound liters. Uh, I'm, tying, I'm tying my braid or nanofill to fluorocarbon knot. I'm using the uh, improved Albright and, uh, you know, using like a, like a, depending on, on that rig, I was using most, most of the time three sixteenths when it got a little windier on the final day, I bumped it up to quarter ounce and, uh, I'm just using like a kanji, uh, tungsten bullet weight and then just a swivel and then 
you know, a Robo Rebarb uh, 1.0 uh, medium worm hook and a 4-inch Robo worm. Now, Sean, kind of uh, like to see this or cast egg. <laughs> no, yeah. it's just, I mean, it was, when I, you know, I fished that rig, and one of the reasons I fished, fished that rig, like, year-round is because everybody drop shots. And I, I wanted, my co-anglers were like, why aren't you just drop shotting? And I, you know, I laughed, and I'm like, I don't drop shot here very, very often. If I drop shot here, I'm going to drop shot a 7-inch robo worm on 15-pound test on a bait caster. But I feel like I get a lot of bites because fishing Casitas and Castaic growing up, uh, before the drop shot was even around, you know, it was either a Texas rig or a split shot or, or a little, basically a mini Carolina rig. And I just, I'm real comfortable with it. I feel like nobody in my area throws it. Everybody's drop shotting. Those fish at Havasu see a drop shot day in and day out. And they don't see this rig that I throw very often. And I feel like it gets me, you know, a lot of extra bites. It's just, just a way to present the bait that they don't see on a regular basis. Havasu is notorious for quagga mussel. Is that, uh, that rig, uh, is there, do, are you in some jeopardy using that rig with the quagga mussel situation at Havasu? Not in any more jeopardy than I would be throwing a drop shot. You know, yeah, I mean, you're definitely in jeopardy throwing anything on the bottom in Havasu. Um, the first day of the tournament, I hooked uh, a fish on that little on that little Carolina rig out of a brush pile, and as soon as I hooked it, it screamed like 50 feet of line off my reel, and I told my co-angler, put the net down, it's a catfish. Don't even worry about it. It's, there's no way this is a bass. And it, you know, started coming up, and it wasn't acting like a catfish, and I was kind of, you know, wondering, do I have a carp or a striper or something? And then I, it came up, and I saw it, and it was about a seven or eight-pound bass. <laughs> and you know of course i start shaking and i'm like get the net you know it's not a catfish and that fish turned around and took me right back to the exact press pile that i caught it out of and it broke me off and uh you know it probably would have broke me off on 20 pound test uh the quagga mussels on that lake are you know they grow on everything that's on the bottom including habitats trees wood rocks or everywhere so anytime you're throwing anything on the bottom and have a suit you're definitely at risk and uh i've broken just as many fish off on 15 and 20 pound as I have on six or eight. So, uh, but, uh, it, it really doesn't matter what size line you use. There, there, there's, there's so much quagga muscles there that they'll break you off <clears throat> no matter what you got. Sean, let's talk about your last day of fishing because this was only a three day event started off with 135 teams. And then I, I think the, the cutoff was like 50 and you had 50 on the second now you're going into the last day of fishing, and I, I think they're fishing. Is it the top ten they fish? And yeah, just the, just the top ten. Did, did you feel like, did you leave something in the tank for this last day, or did you feel like you could go back to some of the places that you know that there are fish and that you could catch enough fish to win this event there? Well, I really, so starting day three, sitting there in my boat, you know, deciding where I'm going to go, in my head, I'm thinking, i got to go back to where I caught 17 pounds at yesterday. You know, me and my co-angler both caught 17 pounds. In, like, two and a half hours, we probably caught 15 or 16 fish. And, you know, my first instinct was, i got to go over there. i got to start there. But in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, what if I burned it out? What if I sit there for three hours and I don't get a bite? Then I've wasted my whole morning, you know. And I had this overwhelming urge to go to a, an area that I'm known to fish a lot. Um, all my friends call it the Bailey Daily. 
And that's just like, you know, I guide there and, and I, I catch fish off of it all the time. And everybody on the lake sees me there in this little area all the time. And they've all, and for some reason, I mean, I've won so many tournaments here and it gets a lot of pressure over the years because I'm seen there so often. And of course, you know, if you see, you know, a guy, you know, on a spot every day of the week, obviously it's, it's a good spot. So it gets a lot of pressure, but for some reason, I knew there was only going to be 10 boats on the lake, and I knew obviously that I, could, I was going to get to the area. And I just felt like I needed to go over there and maybe spend 20 minutes just to see if I could get a couple, you know, two, three, four fish off of it pretty quick. And uh, that's exactly what I did. Uh, I pulled up on there, and uh, I decided I was going to go with a crankbait first thing in the morning. It was, you know, they launched us 10 minutes earlier than they normally uh, did the first two days before. And so I went over there, and I, and I caught – three really good ones on a crankbait and I lost a, a, a really good one. So uh, right then I'm like, wow, that was a, you know, I'm really happy with my decision. I've got three nice fish already. And basically the day hasn't even started. I've only been here 20 minutes. And so, uh, you know, I bounced around and hit a few more little areas ended up catching my limit. So, uh, you know, I had 15 and a half pounds by 10 o'clock. And at that point I gambled a little bit and decided I was going to go fish some brush piles that I hadn't hit. Uh, either in practice or in the tournament that I've, but I've caught some big fish off them in the past and, you know, those didn't work out. And then, so at about noon, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go over to this area where I creamed them yesterday, same time of day, all that, you know, showed up at the exact, basically the same time. And I fished over there for three and two and a half, three hours. And I caught one 13 inch fish. Ooh. So the day before, obviously I heard it and I cleaned it out completely. And, you know, I was just really, really grateful that I listened to my instincts and didn't go over there and start my my day and maybe sit there for three or four hours, you know, wait, you know, waiting for him to move in or waiting for him to turn on or whatever, you know, whatever I'd have been waiting for because I probably wouldn't have been getting bit over there in the morning either. And I don't think I would have won this tournament if I, you know, if I didn't you know, do something different in the morning. And, uh, you know, I, I never caught a fish that I weighed in off, off of it and all the fish – <clears throat> that I weighed in, you know, came off like two or three spots that I hadn't really fished in the tournament yet. And it just kind of all worked out for me. I, I got lucky, I guess. You know, that making that crucial first first decision where we're going to start, you know, that because that makes you and breaks you in this, in this fishing. Um, you, can, you can have a spot and you know where you're, you caught them a day or two before and, and then there was a little bit of pressure, especially on Havasu, too. Uh, pressure is is critical, you know. Making the right decision and and changing up a little bit and let's try this and putting three in the boat one, that that's a real that's a power move on the third day of fishing. <laughs> putting three in the boat early and and now you can relax a little bit actually. Yeah, it was it was really nice. You know, I'm I'm, I'm super glad that I that I you know made those decisions and and followed through and went there and caught some fish because uh, you know looking back on it now. I could, I could almost see myself if I had gone and started over in the area that I wanted to go to and sat there. I mean, I might not have caught a fish on the final day, you know, because yep. I, had, I had such high hopes for this area, you know, being as I caught them so good on the second day there. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, if we caught 15, 16 fish, there's got to be 100 swimming around down there. But it wasn't <laughs> the case. There was, there was probably 16 fish there, and we caught them all. Let me ask you a question real quick here while I'm thinking about this. We used to kind of monitor when they were letting water out of the dam up above, especially if we were going to fish the river when 
the water was up, the fish would move into the pockets. When it was down, they moved back out and they move into the river or back into the main lake. Uh, I don't know where you're fishing, but did that did that flow uh, affect where you were fishing? No, it didn't at all. So prior to the tournament, the lake had been about four feet low and it, for about two weeks. And they're getting ready to do this big dredging project up mm-hmm. at the Topak Marina. And so there's not a lot of flow in the river at all. And it's actually making the, the, the lake really low because they're letting a lot of water out for the farmers down in Yuba and stuff. And they're also doing a, uh, like a new uh, resort-type deal on the lake over by the Sheriff's Cove area, and they're building like a, a whole launch ramp area over there and a marina. And I, and I think they're keeping the lake low for them as well because they're, you know, they're doing the launch ramp uh, during the tournament. So the lake had been at a steady low for two weeks and I knew that it wasn't going to come up anytime soon. So the, the, the flow of the river, uh, was going to be basically the same every single day. And I was fishing the lake. So that really didn't really have an, an effect on my bite. Um, the lake, the lake had, had been low and, and it was low the whole tournament and it's still low right now. Sean, before we let you go, why don't you tell us the sponsors that helped get you to this point in time and that uh, are supporting you now. And I'm going to presume you probably made the decision, yeah, there's a couple more West Coast FLW events that, uh, that are out there. Maybe I should go fish those. Yeah, we'll see. I, I've got a lot of – I'm a guide full-time up there at Havasu, and I book trips, you know, months to a year in advance. And uh, I'll have to look on the calendar and see what I have scheduled for, you know – to, to see if anything conflicts with the last two FLWs. We'll see if I can get up there or not. I hate, I, I never cancel on my customers. So if something's, uh, something's already booked, I'm going to have to, you know, keep my word and take a fishing. But, uh, I definitely want to thank my sponsors. Uh, I've been with, uh, Evergreen International for about 10 years now. They make, you know, line rods, uh, an incredible line of hard baits and soft baits. Um, they help me, uh, you know, do what I do as a guide and as a tournament fisherman, and I definitely want to thank them for that. <clears throat> uh, I also want to thank uh, CW Construction. They're uh, local construction guys out here in Southern California, and uh, the owner, Wayne Carey, also owns a sport fishing boat called the, uh, the Osprey down in San Diego. Yep. <laughs> and he runs, he runs six-pack charters, and, uh, you know, we, uh, I get to fish on that boat quite a bit nowadays and, uh, you know, me out tremendously uh, throughout the year so. Uh, give Osprey uh, sport fishing a look down there in uh, Dana Landing, and then a uh, couple of a uh, couple of uh, friends that uh, make some stuff for me. Uh, G Money Jigs, uh, he provides me with all the jigs, heads, and football heads, and all that kind of stuff I need. And uh, definitely want to thank my girlfriend Ashley for uh, putting up with all the the crap of this tournament and the staying up late working on tackle and all that kind of stuff. So that's now, about you, it for sponsors. You mentioned also your guide on Lake Havasu. Uh, and I know that, yeah, you know, we talk about fishing smallmouth and largemouth, but you also enjoy going after other species. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big-time, you know, striper fisherman in my off time. Uh, Havasu's got some big stripers in it. I love fishing for them. Uh, love fishing in the ocean. always have uh, <clears throat> fishing yellowtail and bluefin tuna, you know, and yellowfin since we've had them the last couple of years. And, uh yeah, I, I fish for about anything that swims. I fish for carp in the summer with the kids. It don't matter. I like catching everything. You know, I having uh, Sean's like he's like a little brother. <laughs> you know, a little literally, he and his his brother grew up fishing against my my brother and I, and 
I've tried to help him over the years and little stuff that we were doing in the fishery industry. But he's been such a talent, you know, from the swim bait fishery that he left here in Southern California. He was a powerhouse in that and understood how to catch them where other guys didn't. And in moving and taking the information that he had learned in Southern California, fishing California waters, and going to Havasu, he's become a strength over there that and recognized as a force to be reckoned with on every tournament, which... You know, I'm really proud of what you've been able to do, buddy. You are, you've done a great job, both you and your brother, even up in Clear Lake. You know, he's the powerhouse up there, and you're the powerhouse down here. Great job, bud, and I, 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 I can't wait to see what you're going to do in the future, you know, even if you cherry-pick what you can because business comes first. But uh, good job on Havasu, bud. Yeah, Sean, Thanks, how man. do you like that uh, nickname, The Hammer? Is that something you've uh, kind of gotten to live with? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's all kinds of little nicknames for me. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I just go with Sean. But, yeah, anything, anything they want to call me is fine, I, I, good or bad. I'm used to it all. <laughs> if, if people want to check you out, uh, going out with you as a guide, their next uh, visit to uh, Lake Havasu, how the, can they get a hold of you and keep up with what you're doing? Uh, you can go to my Facebook page. It's uh, Sean Bailey Guide Service, or you can just uh, if you go ahead and Google bass fishing uh, Lake Havasu, I'll, I'll pop right up there as well. I'm, you got to have a captain's license to guide on Havasu, so there's, there's only mm-hmm. one bass fishing guide on Havasu, and that's me. So if you if you find one, it's going to be me up there. That's there right. you go, buddy. You want to make sure that uh, you've got all your ducks lined up with your guide when you go on out, because there's a lot of guys that are just kind of going out there freelancing it, and that's not the way to do it for sure no no i also want to thank stan uh he helps keep me on the water with a insurance company and that he works that he has and uh he's helped me out a lot in the past and uh without him i don't even know if i could have fished this tournament so i want to thank you stan i appreciate that <laughs> well no worries but you you've earned it um and and you're a talented talented bass fisherman you're a strength in the industry and, and I'm, like i said i'm really proud of what you've done well Sean, congratulations being the champion for Lake Havasu and the FLW. I hope you get an opportunity to fish more of the FLW events because it would sure be nice to see you go back there and fish for that FLW Cup. Yeah, it would. I miss going back there. So, you know, I've I've fished the full season of FLW several, several times and been back east and, you know, fished the championships, and uh, we'll see if I can get it done this year again. All right. Sean Bailey, appreciate you being with us, and and thank you very much. Hey, we're going to take a break right now, but coming up next, it's already here, the show season. Wendy was at the first show of the year. We're going to talk to Wendy, get her impressions about what the reaction was to the vendors and the fishermen that attended. So stay tuned. There's still lots more Rod and Reel Radio to come after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. 
save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hey, bass fishermen. Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for BASSBOAT insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. Rod and Real Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Real Radio today. Just a couple of cleanup notes here. Uh, Ricky Shabazz gave us uh, a call during the commercial break. He was uh, caught in an area where he just couldn't get out to us. We'll have Ricky on next week, but then we're also going to run that promotion for giving uh, away a, uh, a complimentary Navionics chip there at the Fred Hall Show in Long Beach. And then we're also running a promotion with the Occidental uh Papagayo Beach Resort Hotel in Puerto Rico. We're going to send two people down to Puerto Rico to stay at the Occidental Papagayo. We're trying to sweeten that deal up a little bit with uh, maybe airfare or some fishing or whatever it is. And that'll be an event that, uh, you know, will culminate at the end of the Fred Hall Show in San Diego. And also, uh, we want to give our condolences. And, Wendy, I think you want to do this, too. To our good friend Dave Bacon, he uh, uh, was involved in the situation that, unfortunately, his grandson passed away rather suddenly at 16 years old. Very tragic event, and uh, our hearts go out to Dave Bacon and the family uh, for that particular unfortunate event. But, Wendy, we were just talking about the Fred Hall shows in San Diego and Long Beach, and it seems like... We're just getting finished with New Year's, and the show season's <laughs> begun, and you're out among them already. Tell us a little bit about the first show that you attended for this year. You know, the whole buzz around the show were the seminars. The seminars were well attended. Um, they had some really good people up there talking. Um, but uh, the big buzz was everybody was talking about Fred Hall. <laughs> <laughs> They were all going to wait until Fred Hall, so uh, a lot of looky-loos and uh, not much buying because they all said they just wanted to check it out and check out the seminars. So uh, everybody is really looking forward to Fred Hall and with the CCA uh, $50 um, um, program that we're doing, you can get you know $200 worth of coupons and all kinds of stuff. If you become a life member, you can you can get other stuff for being you know for doing that and going to be so much going on at Fred Hall show I, I think everybody can't wait 
Well, you know, we've had phenomenal fishing seasons here in Southern California for the past two seasons. Uh, was there any type of uh, a feeling either with the vendors or the fishermen were there? Are we going to be running into the same type of fishing? Uh, are they looking forward to maybe an albacore run? Or, or what's the feeling of the, the people that are there when it, when it comes to fishing Southern California? Everybody's thinking it's going to be another good year. They're hoping for a big fit, big tuna again. Uh, a lot of people were buying uh, heavy heavy saltwater nuts um, that I saw. Um, and uh, you know, who knows? You know, this is a this is a different year. Nobody knows, but uh, you know, I sure hope those albacore show up one of these days. Well, we know that uh, one of the sports boats here in San Diego came in. And within half-day range, they whacked the bluefin, so there are still bluefin out there. But we want to remind our listeners that the 10th annual Yellowtail Derby is going to be taking uh, off here in just a little bit. It's going to be April the 28th through June the 3rd. There's four divisions that you can fish, the Yellowtail, the White Sea Bass, the Halibut, and the Tuna Division. Now, if you get your entry into the Yellowtail Derby now, you're going to save $10 on the early entry fee. It's also $30 for juniors that can sign up early, $40 after February 1st. But this is a great event that's run by uh, uh, John Campbell down there. It didn't seem like it was that long when it started to go stand that the years are just kind of trickling by in a hurry. We're in, we're in the tenth year of the Yellowtail Derby. <laughs> well, you know they don't trickle by; they run. <laughs> they go pretty Tom, fast. I remember right when he started it back up. That was just yesterday. Well, no, <laughs> you know, well, it's ten years down the road. It's it's gr- it's grown into a big event. Now they have the Yellowtail, the White Sea Bass, the Halibut, and the. The tuna divisions, a, a lot of cash, a lot of prizes, a lot of fun. It all starts off with a, a big kickoff dinner at the uh, the Bally High where you can come and you can sign up late. A lot of prizes given up over there. That'll be, I believe, on uh, April the, uh, the uh, 27th. And then there will be an award ceremony again at the Bally High on, on June the 4th. You want to come on down because it's a heck of a lot of fun. Besides a lot of money given away and a lot of prizes, first place in the Yellowtail division is going to be your weight in, in uh, Ballast Point Pale Ale. So uh, that's an event I think I want to win. Could you imagine? I think I'd, I'd drive that company yeah, you back. Can wear, uh, you can do whatever you want to get on that scale. <laughs> you can yeah, stuff their pockets with it. lead and wear big, giant boots and... <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah, Wendy! If you were to if you were to win that, you could show up in a suit of armor, and they would weigh you. <laughs> well, you know, last year I watched Harry, and he had a backpack full of full of lead. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That was great. Hey, if you want to find out more about the Yellowtail Derby, you can go to yellowtailderby.com, or you can get a hold of uh, the. Uh, uh, tournament director uh, uh, John Campbell, uh, number six. Uh, I'm sorry, eight six six seven four five fifty three thirty one. But get your entry in because it's a lot of fun. It's a tradition that started here in San Diego back in the 1960s, and 
it was a lot of fun then, and it's a lot of fun now. And, and again, uh, Wendy, we just want to give our condolences to Dave Bacon and his family on the loss of his grandson. Yeah, you know, it's a very sad, sad day. It was the day before his 16th birthday. Mm, but, uh, mm, you know, mm. on the brighter side, they donated his organs, and somebody else who needed an organ is going get, to get their organs. So, And as I understand it, and I don't have the information in front of me because this is just kind of like uh, breaking news, there is a GoFundMe page to help out with some of the expenses, too. Uh, yes, I just can't imagine... A- Missing, you know, we all have children. Uh, losing a child at 16 years of age, just uh, just terrible. Yeah, Guys. horrible. Well, listen, don't want to end it on a downer note, but I just want to remind everyone, you want to listen to past shows, just go to ronrealradio.com or go to your favorite iPod provider. Guys, thanks a lot for being with us. Great show. Lots of fun. Lots of information. Yeah. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I will be back live again next Sunday night starting at 5.05 p.m. So on behalf of Jorge, our director uh, at the, the AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our local producer, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McCune, thank you for leaving us this legacy. Uh, that's Rod and Real Radio also. Want to remember Mr. Paul Leader from El Cajon Ford. Hey, stop by El Cajon Ford this weekend for the President's Day sale. If you want a great value on a Ford truck, a Super Duty, or just a regular passenger car, this Monday is going to be the time to go there. So on behalf of Stan and Wendy and all our guests, hey, go out there. They're getting them away. Great fishing right now. Take advantage of it. We'll see you next weekend, everyone. We're out for now. Upon your door. Uh-huh. Gone fishing. How real gone, man. <laughs> you ain't working anymore.